0: And welcome to another Healing Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. My name is Loren Gailey, and today we're going to be talking about mystic symbols, stargates, wormholes, the apotheosis, forbidden knowledge, and lost secrets, and so much more. Because my next guest says that by knowing about all of these things, you'll be able to unlock amazing power within you. So that's the topic of today's healing conversation. I'm very honored to introduce you to a very well-known guest, William Henry, author, investigative mythologist and guest host of the radio show, Dreamland. He's been studying metaphysics for the past 25 years and he's produced several DVDs and books that are on his website on all of his findings of his research. It's what I call New Paradigm Thinking that brings in historical facts and blends it with science and spirituality. Now, William Henry has shared the stage with other New Paradigm Thinkers such as Dr. Stephen Greer, Richard Hoagland, and David Wilcock. They've all been saying that disclosure is imminent. So we're going to talk a little bit about disclosure too and what is disclosure well it's by the government and the powers that be that we are not alone in this universe so welcome william how are you today
1: very well lauren thank you for having me on the program
0: well i'm just honored because you've just done a ton of work around the world studying ancient symbols and what they mean i think one of the most fascinating things of late is the event that happened in december December 9th, 2009. You had predicted something like this. Tell us a little bit about what went on in December at the United Nations Climate Change Conference. There was a treaty that was expected to be signed that critics say would bring a one-world government. But something very interesting happened instead. Will you tell us what you were predicting and what happened?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, there's a little backstory here. As you mentioned, I had uh, I'd been at the Secrets Conference uh, giving a presentation with Stephen Greer and Richard Hoagland, David Wilcock. It was The first time I got to meet uh, Dr. Greer, uh, I was really intrigued by the by uh, the, some of the information that he was bringing forward. I've, I've known Richard and, and David for a while, and I've done numerous presentations with them. And as you know, when you Kind of tap into the mindset of, of richard and david and, and stephen it's it 's kind of a different world and I was sort of in that headspace when I came home from nashville or came home from uh, Tempe to Nashville and happened upon a video on youtube of it was a video that had gone viral of this lord christopher Monckton, who's a a, a british lord uh, who was warning that this United Nations Climate Change Conference, the one in Copenhagen, was actually a kind of a subterfuge, a pretext for the introduction of one world government. And his, the ex- express words that he used that really caught my attention, he said, Warning, the apotheosis is at hand. World government is here. And what caught my attention about that, Loren, is that I had spent the past couple of years researching the incredible painting in the dome of the U.S. Capitol that is called The Apotheosis of George Washington. And as a consequence, I became an expert on that word. It's Greek, uh, apotheosis. It means to deify, to raise, or to Glorify. It has to do with ascension and rapture and our connection with other dimensional beings. And so when Lord Moncton is using that word, the apotheosis is at hand. I'm I'm thinking that's really kind of a oddball use, maybe even a misuse of this word. Is he, in fact, kind of uh, dropping a code term for us, saying, uh, "Let's pay attention, folks, because world government is here." Well again, being sort of in that mind space, I started kind of piecing or connecting some of the dots and, and asking, well, if, if Lord Moncton is saying that the apotheosis is at hand, world government is here, ascension, rapture is here, then he's talking biblically, and in biblical prophecy, when they talk about world government, they inevitably talk about a fast-talking antichrist type figure that emerges on the world scene and runs this world government and us, if he he can, into the ground. And in traditional Judeo-Christian perspectives on this, the Antichrist is opposed by two figures. called two witnesses. And it's these two witnesses that provide pushback to this Antichrist and give the guy a hard time. But also, and more importantly, these two witnesses who are viewed as sort of the Elijah modern Elijah and Moses type figures, these are the two witnesses that appeared on uh, either side of Jesus at the transfiguration, when Jesus took the disciples up to the top of the mountain and revealed himself as a being of light, something I call the light body effect. And in Christian art, when you see imagery of the transfiguration, the the oldest model is perhaps from around the 4th or 5th century. And what you see again and again is Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, on either side of Jesus, who is standing in front of an open gateway composed of concentric rings. Very often, this gateway is portrayed in Christian art as being blue. So here's Jesus standing in front of, he's got his bright white light excuse me, bright white clothing on, his garments of light. He's standing in front of this open gateway composed of concentric rings that are not static. If we saw those concentric rings in the real world, they would be spinning. This would be a gateway, a portal, a vortex, or perhaps even a wormhole that Jesus would be standing in front of. And so in my article, warning, the apotheosis is at hand, on my website, williamhenry.net, I said, well, if all of this is adding up, the apotheosis is here, the world government, antichrist, fast-talking antichrist is on the scene, I think we should start looking for the two witnesses, and let's start looking for a wormhole. Well, it's not nine days later that a wormhole A metaphorical wormhole or certainly what millions of people around the world took for a wormhole did open in the world in the skies above this very conference on the eve of the arrival of barack obama to accept the nobel peace prize in copenhagen and i'm looking at this going What in the world is going on here?
0: Okay, so you're looking for the two witnesses, and you see the wormhole. We saw the wormhole.
1: Dozens, hundreds of websites called it a wormhole. Eyewitnesses viewed it as a wormhole, and that was the beauty of it. It wasn't me trying to say this is a wormhole. Everybody assumed that's what it was, and what's so amazing about that, Loren, is that isn't it amazing that we live in a world where people could accept that a wormhole could open in our skies? Talk about a huge leap forward in consciousness.
0: When I saw that myself, it was totally fantastic. But according to David Wilcock, it's happened a couple of times already in this century. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is going on here? Would you say that Jesus is in the blue hole?
1: (laughs) I I can't say that for sure. But what I can, and what I did on my website and my follow-up blog uh, on the Norway Spiral uh, wormhole of the angel, wormhole of the angel of the apotheosis, or Russian missile was the title of that of that blog. I compared uh, the the Norway spiral with the images of transfiguration portraying Jesus emerging from it, with Jesus being especially portrayed uh, by Hildegard of Bingen in a a, a very beautiful image. Jesus is in front of some concentric rings that resemble the Norway spiral, and she portrays Jesus as sapphire blue. His hands are extended outward as if he is beaming Reiki energy to somebody. And in fact, you can feel it if you're sensitive and you're looking at this painting. Well, what's fascinating about this is in this painting is called The Man in sapphire blue. The Norway spiral had a white spiral and a blue sort of tail or corkscrew that appeared to either emanate from it or uh, somehow being the, the tail of the missile is what is the way someone would interpret that. But th- that blue tail was actually formed by aluminum oxide, which is the primary element in sapphires. And so I'm just seeing this really interesting correspondence here, and, you know, again, I'm not saying that a wormhole opened and a messianic figure emerged from it, but what I am saying is that that imagery that was created in the skies over Norway does match the way Christian art portrays the appearance of the messianic figure. And... So I'll I'll leave it up to individuals to decide what they ultimately think about that. And it may be that all that is is a is a fluke, it's a synchronicity, but if it is a synchronicity it's telling us pay attention, keep keep alert because things are not uh <laughs> It's just time for us to really be paying attention and be on our toes. And, in fact, um, I've since gone on to, to write an article that will be up on my site, in which I'm saying that there there are these forces of of tyranny, terrorists, that are using spirituality, that are using economics, that are usually using actual terror in order to break down this planet, in order to break down the will and the spirit of humankind to lock down the planet and as this unfolds you have two choices one, you can fold you can just go ahead and allow them to run over your spirit or you can decide you're going to suit up, and you're going to become a light warrior, as they describe them, a a, a spirit warrior. And you're going to begin to protect yourself by embodying the highest attributes that, that humans are capable of embodying. And I'm talking here now about the, the crown of salvation, the, the sword of truth, the shield of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace. I think that what all of these signs and world events are ultimately telling us is that we're going to have to be doing battle with these forces of of tyranny, spiritual, economic, which is actually terrorism. And anybody that fights terrorism is still a terrorist because you're promoting terror. And we have to be bold enough at this time to say we recognize that you can't fight terror with terror. And you can't lock down the whole planet in hopes of combating terror. And what we have to do is to learn to rise above that terror, to be better than that, and set a higher example.
0: To really choose love in every moment. Let's talk a little bit about the symbology particularly of some of the places that you've gone you've gone on a hunt around the world for some of these sacred symbols and researching them mm-hmm. why are they so important to you and how do you fit it into the bigger picture
1: well my my real quest um and the reason i wanted to learn the the symbols of the ancients and to go to these sites is because i, I believe that the ancients possessed the the, the true and original secrets of uh, what we think of today as stargates and Coupled with that, whenever I I find gateway symbolism, and that's my, my specialty, and looking for these ancient portals, whenever I find these portals and temples that are associated with them, I find amazing stories of human transformation, of beings that have transformed or transfigured, metamorphosed, or morphed themselves into higher beings. And that's my real quest, is to discover where are those portals and those gateways, and what is that sacred knowledge that we're all being asked to learn how to embody. And so especially, say, that the past 10 years of, of my writing has been focusing on, on that kind of knowledge, and the, the, the role that I, I, I feel or I hope I, I uh, fulfill for people is I take people to the door. I don't present myself as the type of person that is going to necessarily take you through the door. I think there are higher beings are the only ones that are truly qualified to be able to do that. There are, of course, some teachers running around that think of themselves as the as the actual person that will take you through the door, and that that they may in fact be these higher beings. But the role I try to fulfill is to help people get prepared to be able to one read the signs and symbols know the lore know the sort of the lingo of the gateway stories because what ultimately I I see happening for individuals in this time or at least what my quest is about is at, at some point you're going to you're going to have an encounter with one of these higher beings and it's going to take as the ancients described it in the stories of Enoch and Elijah and Mary Magdalene and others you're going to, this encounter is going to be somewhat familiar it's going to feel sort of like a job interview and as you're interviewed by these beings you're going to have to know the job that you're seeking on the other side and you're going to have to know what that entails and our our life and our present life and the physical life is in preparation for this next job that we're going to be getting. And so what I try to do is just get people prepared for that interview, know sort of the, the lay of the land and this idea of these interconnecting gateways and the possibility or the, the actual uh, probability that we can transform ourselves into what are described as beings of light who can then access those doors and those gates and continue on as a spiritual being.
0: In many of your books and DVDs, you talk about how the ancient mystery traditions viewed the human body as that cross of light that you were just talking about. That's right. The cross of light, and it is this cross that the solar drop or divine spark embedded in every human body uses as a stargate to cross out of space-time, and that Jesus was a stargate-hopping time traveler. Mm -hmm. a high-energy or quantum physics type who taught the metaphysical secret of secrets of opening the heart to the pure essence of the universe. And so basically, that's the call that we are here to remember in your beautiful words.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's... uh, I... I i sometimes call what i teach stargate christianity because it's all about preparing ourselves preparing the body for that becoming stargate traveling time travelers ourselves in the model of jesus and when you look at his story uh, especially from the gnostic perspective from the spiritual science perspective that's what he was doing and he left us secrets the 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 uh... The, the techniques for being able to do that. And these these secrets, these techniques have been culled from their travels, the disciples' travel in Egypt and Iran, Iraq, India, Tibet. And so what I've done is followed those trails, sometimes physically, actually going to those temples and piecing together uh, that sacred science. And so a lot of what, what people get out of my books and DVDs is this sort of uh, accum- not only an accumulation of these studies, but actually an intermixing of the, the Egyptian, the ancient Sumerian, the Tibetan, and mostly looked at through the lens of esoteric or stargate Christianity. And I'm glad to say people really enjoy that because that's, that's really where it's at for me. And I'm just thankful for all the people that have adopted this this research and are carrying it forward, because what we're really doing here is building, um, well, in the Jewish tradition, they they talk of something called the pillar of light, the, the the column of glory. And this pillar or this column is is actually a column or pillar that's composed of all of the souls that are doing this work. And the idea is that the souls then ascend this pillar to a heavenly world wearing their robes of light, their light body. And that pillar is, is the gateway. It is the wormhole, in effect, that links our world with what the Egyptians called the dimension of the blessed or the light world, the realm of light, the treasury of light is what the Gnostics call it and that I feel is what we're charged to do right now is to tap that divine spark, to get it ringing or singing at the highest possible vibration, to encounter or alert that messenger of light that is actually planted within our hearts and is present within us as a a higher mind, that messenger of light will lead us synchronistically and through our actions to that column to the other souls that are working on this and as we unite we put on our robes of light and we bring an awakening or an ascension and so when you talk about signs and symbols I think yeah the Norway spiral is really important but wait till you see the column of light manifest in the skies over earth
0: have you seen that? has that happened?
1: I am starting to see it because I'm looking for it
0: I've noticed a difference in the skies lately. I see a lot more rainbow clouds.
1: I do, too. In fact, uh, you know, I I just, uh, I'm giving a new presentation starting this spring. It's called Soul Rising. And what I wrote is that there's a new light in the sky. Ah something extraordinary is happening.
0: You know, you can see it with sunglasses. It's amazing how you can see the rainbows more with sunglasses. You're
1: right, absolutely. The other day Uh,
0: I saw something very interesting. It was cloudy, so it was foggy clouds moving in and out. The sun was behind the cloud. You can see the ball of sun filtered through the cloud. But then on each side, if you held your hand up in the air, probably it was a foot apart from each other. So it's a pretty good distance across in the sky. Rectangle rainbows on each side and perfect <laughs> Amazing. That's cool. So that's kind of this new energy coming in. Some would call it just more Christ consciousness, especially as we are aligning with the galactic center.
1: Yeah, the galactic center is Atlantis rising, it is all the myths of the rising and ultimately it's the I call it the soul rising because the shamanic traditions teach us that our souls came from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And so, as we're aligning with this rising Milky Way, it makes sense that our souls would rise.
0: It's going to be a great new world.
1: You got it, and I'm uh, thrilled to be here to be kind of a, uh, in a way, a bridge for people to be able to go out and explore these places and come back. But I, I recognize that the that the work I'm doing um, is just helping to show the way for all those that are that are. Beginning to arrive on the planet, those that are younger than I am, and I agree it's it's tremendously exciting, and I'm coming at least into a point in my life i'm forty seven where I recognize that um, I want to devote myself more to not just what I need for my life but to the lives of those that are um, that are coming along. I, I don't have children. But I have nieces, and I look at them and recognize, hey, they're in a place here where they could easily live to be 150, 200 years old. And mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're giving them the best possible world.
0: Now, when you consider ascension, do you consider that to be disappearing into heaven, or is it different?
1: Well, uh, the ascension along the way is is a rising, it's a rising of our frequency, it's a rising of our consciousness. So it's, uh, the analogy I like to make is to that of the the singing crystal bowl, that you, we are that bowl, our soul, our divine spark is that soul. And to the extent that we keep going around the rim of that bowl with a wand or a mallet, um, that's the... The, the output that we're getting from our soul is based on, on those actions. And ultimately, the, the visual that I offer to people is that the ascension in the earthly realm is 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 a rising of your frequency. It's an acceleration of your, of your soul evolution. It's a freeing of your soul. It's doing those things that uh, make you feel like you're in the complete, free expression of God. It's doing things that make you feel lighter, whole, holy, complete and when you're doing that, everything's working. You have the, the freedom, you have the ability to heal the world. You're happier and you're you're feeling more complete. But then beyond that, what happens is this vibration opens within you is that yes, there is a dematerialization effect. The Tibetans call it the rainbow body and tell how the the human body, the human stargate can, the, the frequency of this body can be accelerated until it's a vortex of energy that dissolves itself into five-colored rainbow light, leaving behind only hair, toe, and fingernails, which have no nerves to be transmuted. And so... There is a disappearance that occurs, but what happens with that disappearance is not an ultimate disappearance. Then you have the capability of toggling back and forth from light to flesh, flesh to light, and that's what Jesus did. That's what he demonstrated in his death And resurrection. He came back and talked to the disciples. He ate solid food with them. It sounds inconceivable to us, but I I always like to offer people the, the cartoon I saw once of the caterpillar looking up at the butterfly saying, you'll never get me up in one of those things. And that's where most people are at. We're all caterpillars. We're all pupils. We're all in this intermediate phase here where we're learning to become butterflies. But culturally, we don't support transfiguration and resurrection. We don't. that yet. But we're beginning to do that. You're starting to see the idea of the Stargate manifest all over the planet in films, in civic centers, in artwork. The ring, the gate, the portal is replacing the Christian cross. And that is exciting to me because now what we can bring in is all of the esoteric stuff, all the true spiritual science about how we prepare ourselves for going through those gates or portals.
0: We see in the movie Stargate and Jody Foster's
1: yeah, contact. Yeah, Foster.
0: Right, and so these are real, and the government knows about it.
1: I don't believe that. I, mean, I hear all these people talking about insiders and jump rooms and stargates to Mars, and yeah. uh, you know U.S. government insiders are going from Earth to Mars through Stargate. I, I just raise an eyebrow at that, and like, and go, are you serious? Have you ever actually done that yourself? Because when I look at all the ancient stories, um, and and granted, maybe they upgraded the technology. I don't know. But when I look at the ancient stories and the artwork they left behind about these gates, uh, you're not going through them in physical form. Mm -hmm. In other words, the U.S. Air Force, like in the movie Stargate, Mm -hmm. forget about it. Like in Contact, forget about it. I mean, those models are not uh, based on anything in the ancient world, at least that I've seen. And what instead they're talking about is a transfiguration. Why the hell would you want to take your body out in space anyway? I mean, wouldn't you want to be a rainbow being, a a llama in 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 the ring of cosmic sovereignty that enables you to go BC, do anything you want? Why would a butterfly want to stay in a pupil form? When you know that there is the butterfly technology available, mm-hmm. I don't think you would. So none of this makes any sense to me, and I, I don't blame people that you know that talk about this insider stuff. I, I look back at the origin of the, the Stargate concept. It comes from uh, Carl Sagan, when he was writing Contact. He was wanting to write a novel about first contact with an extraterrestrial civilization. Problem was Sagan didn't believe in little green men flying around in shiny disks. He said thought the distances were too far in interstellar space. So he contacts his friend Kip Thorne at Caltech and says, find me a way for my aliens to get here. And they literally invent the idea of the traversable wormhole. And this is where we get the machine in Stargate. Or excuse me, the machine in Contact, as they come up with this hyperdimensional Stargate device that enables Jedi Foster to then travel to the center of the galaxy, accessing these uh, these uh, what they describe as uh, primordial this primordial transportation system that's like a cosmic subway snaking its way from the Earth to the center of the galaxy, where she goes in that film, and then she returns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well. You know, when I look at that, um, I I just really uh, don't find a correlation to that in the ancient world uh, as an actual, literal, physical technology. I mean, they do talk about the Tower of Babel, which is an extremely important story, but when you're in myth or sacred tradition, you always have to recognize that there's there's seven levels of interpretation to those stories. So while some might think that the Tower of Babel is a literal physical tower, ladder tower or stairway that reached into the heavens, the metaphysically or spiritually inclined recognize that you're really talking about the human body. And when God destroys the the Tower of Babel, we're not talking about, you know, necessarily the destruction of an actual constructed tower, we're talking about the destruction or the uh, governance of the human body. God doesn't want ordinary humans transforming themselves into Christ-like beings. They're, you know, totally unmanageable, and they don't pay taxes. And so you, you make up all these stories that there's this actual gate or a tower that the Air Force can then go dig up and only insiders can have access to it. And what that does is it, sh- it keeps you in the Tower of Babel mode. You're not looking for the secrets of the actual gate, the secrets of your body. You're out here chasing around some New World Order freak that thinks he's some part of some bloodline and you know, could be the Messiah himself, and that's a total waste of time in my opinion.
0: So what you say is that the Stargates are really from this light body and what would you then say ETs? Is that how ETs travel or other beings?
1: Some do, absolutely. And my basis for that is I, when I started studying the Tibetan great uh, perfection tradition, the, where the Tibetans say that we can spin our body into a, a stargate, I, I came onto to that because I... Uh, I had been doing this work on, on stargates and wormholes, or depictions of them on the walls of the temple walls of ancient Egypt. You'd see the gods sailing on their ships of eternity, as they were called, the Ark of the Millions of Years. Well, the Ark of the Millions of Years, the Ship of Eternity, the way the ancient Egyptians portrayed them, or drew them on those walls, is exactly the same diagram, U-shaped diagram, that modern science uses to portray a wormhole. And so I posed the question, is it possible that what the ancients, especially the Egyptians, were showing us is that their gods were sailing on the ships of eternity and that those are actually wormholes. And when the gods talk about humans being able to turn themselves into stars, what they were saying is, is that you want to morph yourself from your pupil form into your star form so then you can travel through these ships of eternity. They never were talking about humans in the flesh surfing these wormholes holes and so following that path going along there and saying all right what we're seeking is actually a spiritual science
0: the blending
1: the blending that's right
0: that's consciousness passing through the wormholes
1: yeah, exactly. And so it's not necessarily a you know a hardware physical gate. You know, while some people might think that yeah we could duplicate such a thing, and we're attempting to do that certainly at CERN right now. I don't have direct evidence that they've actually been able been successful in creating a Stargate type of gateway or a contact type of gateway.
0: And we've got the current terrorism by the dark side, if you will, I feel that people are waking up more and more, right. and now it would seem then that we've got to help people move from out of the fear, and you said earlier that it was a choice, but it's also a raising of the vibration. Can you explain how you suggest people move in these next few years?
1: Mm-hmm. All I can recommend, and I'm uh, also a tarot card reader, and this is a technique I teach in my tarot readings. Uh, one of my favorite cards is the uh, sun card. Uh, and that, By the way, I read the ancient Egyptian tarot, just in case anybody's curious. And In the ancient Egyptian tarot, when you see the sun card, you see uh, a couple smiling, a man and a woman, arm in arm. They're in a beautiful garden, their arms are raised. They have a, a beautiful sun in between their arms. The, the sun, the star in our sky, and at their feet is uh, in the grass is a rainbow ring. And as I mentioned earlier, that rainbow ring is called the ring of cosmic sovereignty. And with that ring or vibration, you're able to accomplish anything. Go BC, do anything you want. And the reason I like the, this image of the sun card so much is, one, it shows the unity of the male and female side. The male side has a tendency to want to put us into fear. It's like the critic. It keeps us locked in place. It keeps us uh, from moving forward out of fear of that we might fail, whereas the female side has all the higher aspirations. And so the, the, the major trick during these times is to keep the male and female side both saying yes to the same thing. If you've got one part of you saying, which is frequently what I get in readings, is that uh, I'm stuck, feels like everything's going to hell, uh, I'm confused, my energy is blocked. I mean, the male side likes to keep us locked in those kinds of frequencies or vibrations. And what has to happen is it has to take the energy and emotion off of those vibrations and put it onto just simply focusing on doing and, and, and feeling whole. And complete. This is one of, the, one of the, the great Stargate stories involves Gilgamesh. It's the oldest human story, as a matter of fact. The oldest story. And it's a story of his quest for immortality. Gilgamesh is told by a, a priestess that he is two-thirds divine and one-third human. And if he wants to get through the gate of the gods, he's going to have to clean up his act. He's going to have to become whole, holy, 360. Complete. And so Gilgamesh then goes off off on this quest in order to achieve 360 or wholeness. Holiness. And the only way that that happens is that both the male and female side say, yes, I'm going to focus my energy and emotion on wholeness. And when the male side and the female side are both saying yes to that, then we pick up our ring. Suddenly, we pick up our vibration, the rainbow ring begins to surround us, we begin to put on the rainbow body, we begin to access our full capabilities as individuals, and our actions begin to shift. What recession? What unemployment? I choose not to participate in that. Instead, I'm going to participate in maximizing every day towards the creation of becoming free becoming whole, wholly complete, living a motivated life in the flow, working with like-minded people, and and aligning myself with open and incredible, full-turned-on consciousness and nothing else. And that's it. And once we pick up that ring, we can't put it down. And if you commit to doing that, That's how we begin this process of change. This is how we real change. And this is how we can free ourselves from the terrorists who instead want to keep us to to, the terrorists and the tyrants that simply want to enslave us or slow us down spiritually, physically, emotionally, and every other way. Because that's the only way they can control us
0: we can build our world just as you said we can focus and choose and create and co-create how do you visualize this world changing more humans waking up
1: yep and as more wake up they recognize they see that light in the sky that you see and they start reaching for what is beyond that and that to me is the whole key um Balance is, of course, another huge part of this, and uh, I remember when I first started doing presentations back in 1996, I used to cite the UN numbers that uh, came out then that said that half of the world's population, then only 6.5 billion people, half of the world's population don't have access to a toilet, and and we're 2.5 days' walk from the nearest telephone, while we, over here in the West, are living like King Solomon. Right, Mm -hmm. and in in fact, in America, I mean, if you're someone without a toilet or telephone, there's there's no difference between my lifestyle and that of say Bill Gates, because we're just so we're in such completely different worlds. And what I started to see in my travels, I'd go to Egypt, for example, and we'd be out in the countryside, and you'd see a stone hut that is probably a thousand years old. It's now got a satellite dish on top of it, and the the people that live in that in that hut now know there's this whole other world out there. And so what happens is, is that, that, that now starts to bring about the balance. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the world right now, is that some of the third world countries, some of uh, China, in India. Those people want what we have. And what they're going to discover is the same thing that we have discovered here in America. It doesn't matter how nice a car you drive. It doesn't matter what clothes are on your back. It doesn't matter what's in your refrigerator. If you don't have it going on inside, none of that's going to do anything for you. And hopefully they will discover it sooner than we did. And we will be able to be the way showers that say, "Oh." On consumption consciousness, we're beyond that and we're living in a manner that will show everyone around the world how we can live as more fully functioning humans. That's what has to happen because those who are whole and complete and awakened are going to be able to focus on and bring in the answers that are going to be able to change everything. And I think it can change quite quickly. I mean, the analogy, another analogy I like to make is that At the turn of the 20th century, the single most powerful force on the planet was the British Navy. Now, just only 110 years later, where is the British Navy? Mm -hmm. Does, 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 Does Britain even have a Navy anymore? What happened was the U.S. military came in with technology and vastly implemented that technology and superseded the British Navy. Well, today, the U.S. military, we've spent how many trillions of dollars fighting the war on terror? And yet now the world is crippled because a guy from Nigeria can put some chemicals in his underwear and bring the world to its knees or bring us all into scanning booths now. Mm -hmm. Okay? One small little effort changed everything what we got to find out is what are the small efforts that we can take that will render the terrorists
0: impotent the airport security is one thing that I when I go through there I'm always looking around and just saying have you caught any terrorists yet (laughs) Uh, how long are we going to put up with this
1: well what we have to recognize is that we are the enemy if you're fighting terror with terror then you're a terrorist and who do terrorists fight? The free. And we are the free. And so we have to recognize, unfortunately, those who say that they are looking out for our best interest and seek to protect us with this anti terror stuff are actually behaving like terrorists. And so now you say, all right, well, what do we do about it? And what I say is the only thing we can do about it is you're awake. Now rise and shine. You think you've been doing light work before this time? Wait till you see how much we've still got to go. And it, that's, that's not, you know, throwing water on what people have been doing. It's just simply to say the work is only just beginning. Now is the time when we really have to start doing this work and, Truly concentrating on it and going beyond the mundane, going beyond the old, we call it patriarchal energy, whatever, uh, and stop worrying if we're going to offend the folks on the island. You know, who cares what the family thinks? Who cares what other people think? It is time now, truly, to set our sights on true wholeness individually. And as individuals do that, that's what's going to make it happen. Because what's got to go down here, or what has to light up here, I said in the Stargate analogy, it's as if we've all got this uh, beautiful candle in our body, our spinal cord system. And at the top of that nervous system, the spinal cord system, is a wick, our pineal gland. But the problem is none of our candles are lit. None of our elevators go to the top. We've got to find a way to get a few of us to get to the top, to get our elevators to go to the top, and then start passing that candle along so that others can light their candle.
0: And that's the work that you're doing, too. And it's fascinating that you do go all around the world. You visit the sites that confirm your research and the work that you've done. Tell us about Stargate Mysteries of Egypt Tour 2010.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm leaving for Egypt here uh, actually a week from Sunday, January 17th, taking a, a tour group there, and I, I like to focus on Egypt because it, it's it's the clearest and most uh, visible to me example of the ancient Stargate technology. When I'm in the temples, and we're reading them like Stargate manuals, basically, and I'm still convinced that there are a lot of the secrets that we seek are still in those temples and i'm aware that that when you're in the temples when you're in the great pyramid when you're in the between the paws of the sphinx you're in energy fields that are activating these capabilities within you i've had experience after experience where literally those temples talk to you they are aware of you. It's like when the Great Pyramid, it's like it knows your pin number. If it, if you've ever been in the pyramid in any existence, it recognizes you, and it swipes you like a pin number as you go through it, and it, it's, it talks to you. At least it talked to me. I've had profound experiences in the Great Pyramid. Other temples work the same way, and so that's that's why I like to key on Egypt. And also, as I've mentioned many of much of the research that i do has to do with what is called gnostic christianity stargate christianity spiritual christianity and those secrets are in egypt and that's a, a clear distinction that i make traditional christianity churchianity comes out of palestine but the esoteric stuff the the what i think of as the kernel of it the the spark of it was found in Egypt, and it's still there. And so I, I return to Egypt again and again in hopes to uncover more and more about uh, those ancient secrets. And I'll, I'll give you one example of that. Christ, the light, was born in a manger in Bethlehem right? Where is Bethlehem? Well, when you're in Palestine, they'll show you a Bethlehem and say, here's the manger where Christ the light was born. And in fact, there's a beautiful alabaster floor in that manger with a stargate marking it. Most people don't recognize that. Jesus came through a stargate and he also left through a stargate. The Christ did. So you can think, well, all right, there's the Bethlehem. That's it. Mystery solved. But then when you go to Egypt, You go to a temple called Dendera, devoted to the goddess Hathor, and it's called the Temple of Love and Joy. And you find out that this temple was brand new at the time of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Brand spanking new. And then you look at the meaning of the word Dendera. It means house of bread. House of bread. Interesting, because there's a biblical place name that also means house of bread. that no one's quite sure where it is. And that biblical place name is Bethlehem. And what I suggest is that if this really all came out of Egypt, as scholars believe, then to make more sense that we're looking for the Bethlehem at Dendera as opposed to some manger full of cows and or wildlife, wild animals in, in Palestine – I think Dendera is Bethlehem. It's the house of the bread. And what do you find in the crypt of Dendera? Well, you find that amazing depiction of the, what some people think of as light bulbs or cathode ray tubes, the, the depiction that shows the lotus bulbs with the, with the bulb and the, and the gods tending it. And the message there is that the light comes through this crypt. And so when we start to look at these mysteries from that perspective, the Egyptian perspective, some amazing things can happen.
0: Fascinating. Well, we'll look forward to your blog after you return from your trip.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> I can't wait.
0: So, can you share some of your profound experiences? Is it just fresh information when you're in the temples, or thoughts you've never considered?
1: Um, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was the first time I went into the Great Pyramid. I really. I mean, first, there's nothing that can prepare you. No picture, no movie, nothing can prepare you for for seeing the Great Pyramid. It's just so beyond description, utterly immense and and magnificent and perfect. You think of it as perfect, and uh, when you go in, then you're in the. I was in the King's Chamber of the pyramid, and you're just absolutely blown away and on this first instance i uh, just decided to take stock on where i was that we're here in the center of the land masses of the planet and i just decided well okay i'm in a very powerful place sacred place i'll just open my heart send some love to my uh, love vibrations to my friends and family which i did then the next thing i know from out of nowhere comes this beaming blue eye that was smiling at me and as I look up at it in my meditation it's clearly conscious and it's seeming like it's communicating with me and I'm just acknowledging it and kind of maybe telepathically communicating with it it keeps smiling at me then the next thing I know it it disappears the meditation's over, we leave the pyramid I walk out and ask the folks I was with, hey did anybody see this blue eye and what was that Blue eye no one had any idea what I was talking about, and I started looking around for any kind of clues about it and Finally, we're down in Luxor at the at the museum down there, and I go into the museum store and I find this little two inch tall golden pyramid with a blue eye of Horus on it right at where the king's chamber is located on the pyramid and immediately recognized that's what I saw that's what I experienced that was the blue eye of bliss it's the eye of Horus and what it got me thinking is that okay so the great pyramid according to Robert Bavall and Hancock and others is the great pyramid is nothing but a transfiguration machine it's a stargate it's the hardware and the blue eye represents the software that activates it that activates our body and I recognized at that at that time that perhaps the the rest of my life, certainly the next part of my life, would be devoted to trying to figure out what was that what was that blue eye, where did that come from? what does it mean and and what's going on with that and the conclusions that I came to was one that. And that is the, the eye of illumination on top of the $1 bill. Um, that symbol, while some think of it as some dirty symbol of the Illuminati um, or the New World Order, is actually a, is symbolic of a very high spiritual experience. And secondly, I've been able to connect through my research that that blue eye could in fact be some kind of a probe. It is uh, uh, there. There's a wormhole theorist, a physicist, who proposes that uh, there's an, an extremely advanced civilization in Cygnus, the constellation of the Swan that the Great Pyramid is one of the constellations it's aligned to, and in fact, the Egyptians believed Cygnus was the direction of heaven. The Kepler Space Telescope, by the way, is looking in this direction right now, too. This physicist proposed that this extremely advanced civilization wouldn't send out spaceships. They wouldn't send out satellites or probes like that. They would send out cosmic rays. And in fact, Cygnus has a star of blazers that's aimed directly at Earth like as if being pointed like a barrel of a gun that shoots these high-energy cosmic rays at Earth. And these scientists believe that high-energy cosmic rays coming from Cygnus actually stimulated or accelerated human evolution in the past, especially spiritual evolution. And so this physicist says, well, they would send these these high-energy cosmic rays at Earth, these rays would seek out consciousness, and if they found anything interesting, they would manifest in front of this consciousness, maybe enter into that being, if they liked what they saw, then the this cosmic ray would open into a portal, a wormhole, through which consciousness from Cygnus could pass, from Cygnus to Earth, or from which potentially consciousness from Earth could pass to Cygnus. And as of right now that's what I think I experienced inside the Great Pyramid was one of these sort of probes that maybe offered a download to me at that time but certainly has directed my research and has kept me looking out for these blue stargates or blue portals and the last m- or most recent manifestation of that of course was uh, the work I had done on the Norway spiral.
0: Doesn't it give you chills Can yeah. you connect the dots?
1: Connect the dots. It's like, all right, I'm just going to keep on this path. I don't know if the Norway spiral was a missile or a wormhole but it's uh, it's given me some energy, some some nice conversations with folks such as yourself and others who are trying to to look at this some are a a lot more capable than i am at uh... looking at the physics or the high spirituality of such events and it's just uh... it's an exciting uh... exciting path to be able to to be able to follow this
0: you said that the blue eye smiling was more it's a stargate Uh um... and that it was activated by the eye of lexor the pyramid is a stargate that's activated by the eye of Luxor, but you mentioned that you opened your heart, and that's the key, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. It absolutely is, without a doubt. And that was uh, another the experience I had in Egypt was a, a heart chakra opening uh, in one of the temples that was absolutely wonderful. And it's, I call it the uh, gift of Egypt that keeps on giving because now my heart opens all the time.
0: That's really what it's all about. Can we imagine a humanity with open hearts? There won't be the Maserati driving down the road with the homeless person walking in front of it.
1: You're right exactly on those same waves like I am. I mean, green is the color of the heart chakra. Being green has nothing to do with driving a Prius or recycling. I mean, that's a good start. A truly green civilization in the model of ancient Egypt is exactly what you described it's 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 a heart-centered civilization based on rebirth renewal regeneration and recognizing that we're you you know it's, it's quite possible that none of us are going anywhere until all of us go together
0: Well, we've got a lot of work to do, and William Henry, thank you so much for today's interview. You are doing great work for humanity. Thank you. I'm so honored to have this time with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Lorette.
0: William Henry of WilliamHenry.net. Check out his websites, check out his work in DVDs and in e-books and books, and maybe even take a travel or get a tarot reading from William. Thank you again, William. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Now I'd like to leave you with music from the universe. This music is actually created by the universe. Computer musician and composer Phil Windsor assigned musical notes to mathematical equations, and this is the result. It's truly music from the universe. Available at AcousticHealth.com Listen Enjoy, love, and be. Thank you.